Hello. Great worshiping with you. That was awesome. Great it's worshiping. good to have you here. Good to be here. You're looking great. Thank you. How are you feeling? Uh, I feel great. I feel, <laughs> I feel good. Man, you know, these days there's no better place uh, to be than to be with my family in Christ and worshiping the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Amen. Just be filled with the Spirit. Woo. Awesome. So, Ray, we're going to be talking tonight about one of your favorite subjects, <laughs> prophecy. <laughs> yes. You well, are the church named Maranatha. <laughs> yes. Yes. Our name is Maranatha. Um, you know, when I got saved, uh, Rob, I got saved at 11 through Billy Graham. Uh, Yes, actually, I think it was 10, and it was at a theater, and, uh, you know, the, the churches had gotten together and rented the local theater in the East County where I was raised, and, uh, you know, me and my brothers, uh, I have two twin brothers that are 10 months younger than me, so we were very close, and we used to have to work Sundays. I hated Sundays because we always had to work on Sunday. My dad, it, we were his three-boy crew. To mow the lawn, trim the ivy, it seemed like pull endless weeds. And, but if we did a good job, Sunday afternoon we could go see a movie. And for th- boys in those days, we had two favorites, James Bond or Clint Eastwood, especially the Spaghetti Westerns. There were only 12 words of dialogue in the whole movie, a lot of whistling. But anyway, this one time they had Billy Graham, and so anyway, I I went, and I got saved. So I got saved, I started going to a small local church, and um, and so I thought, okay, now, you know, uh, I'm a young man, I I know I'm going to heaven, live a good life, and that's what I thought being a Christian was. And then I started hearing, we, I I remember looking at the San Diego Union, and up bold letters was the word Israel, and it really was confusing. I'm just going to Sunday school learning about Jesus and the disciples were 2,000 years ago. For some reason, everybody wore robes all the time. And I was like, that's like a long time ago. Why is Israel on the front page of San Diego? It was the Six-Day War in 1967. And that was the first time I heard that we were living in a very unique generation. The first generation in 2,000 years that there was such a thing as Israel. For 1,900 years, there was no Israel. And um, the last time there was an Israel, before this time, Jesus Christ himself was walking on the planet. And the rebirth of Israel, I heard for the first time, was the sign that he's coming back. So that was like, well, then I can't just live a normal Christian life. Jesus is coming back. And I got fired up and got into the Jesus movement and uh, heard Chuck Smith, and my life changed. Oh, my, and all, you know. So anyway... (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we put together um, our staff and some of our elders um, put in some questions that I'm going to just run through with you tonight. And uh, you good with that? Uh And we'll just talk about what's happening in our world today and how it relates to Bible prophecy. So here's question number one. When will life get back to normal? (laughs) And is that do even I win sixty four thousand dollars if I answer <laughs> yeah. that? Is that even the right question to be asking right now? Well, uh, you know what? Okay, and, and I'll try to be brief. But it, my answer to that would be, in one sense, I hope we do not go back to normal. If normal means there were many people living for themselves, living for this world, living for their own enjoyment and pleasure, and compromised in one way or another. Um, you know, not on the outside, but, but internally, there's something refreshing about everybody being alive and awake um, and, you know, and looking up in a way that we never have before. So, yes, there's some things I hope will change, uh, but spiritually, I believe this has given us a ramp into a new intimacy, passion, desire uh, you know, for the Lord. And, and really, it could be the catalyst for a whole revival of Jesus' people. Amen? Amen. Yes. yes. I'd love to see that. Um, okay, so here's question number two. How might God be using the COVID pandemic to usher in Christ's return? That's a great question. Go ahead and answer it. No. <laughs> So how, how might he use it? Well, here's something very interesting. So I'm going to, uh, uh, so 
we know that uh, we are living in a very unique time. I mean, this is different, even, Rob, for you and I, people of our generation. Uh, we, we've been through things in America. We've been through the 60s. We went through assassinations. We went through the Vietnam War. We've, we've been through some stuff as a nation. What's different about this time is America's not alone. The whole world, all the, the whole globe has been locked into this pandemic. It's affecting everybody. And so I think that that is something that's very unique. Now, uh, look, there are people that we, we know geographically, let me be careful, where this came from. It came from a little uh, town called Wuhan in China. Now, there are people that say, well, you know, was it intentional, was, you know, or was it an accident? And in a way, I, and I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. I don't know. That they know the answer to that. But, okay, so that's where it came from. And what that pandemic that came from that one town has now brought the whole world into, we're all wrapped up into this, and now we're talking about vaccines and how do we get beyond the vaccine back to normal and can we fly a plane and can we ever go back to school, can we go into a stadium and all this stuff. So they're starting to say things like, well, unless you have this or that, then, you know, you can't basically go back or you can't buy or sell. So for Christians, that triggers to me Revelation 13. If you have to have something in or on your body that you can't, you know, without, you can't buy or sell or trade without the deal, then not saying that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. What I'm saying is we're at a time where the whole world is trapped and we're in this situation. Now, here's what's interesting spiritually. Since it did come from China, and I, and I don't give any aspersion to China. I don't know how or, you know, it could have been an accident. But what's interesting is in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, it talks about the beast. And it does say that the dragon uh, empowers the beast. The beast is a metaphor for this final one world government that comes at the final end of, uh, you know, the biblical time. And it says the dragon somehow empowers the beast. So what I'm thinking, what's interesting is the dragon on a spiritual level, we can say, okay, represents the devil. But animals in the Bible, prophetically, both in the book of Daniel, for instance, or the book of Revelation, represent countries. So what country is represented by the symbol of the dragon is China. So I think, whoa, that's very interesting. Now, when you get into prophecy... You, you realize that there are layers. Uh, we, we try to get it nailed down to just one thing. I, I want to be more open, so I'm not blaming China, and I certainly do not blame Chinese people. I love the Chinese people, and, and in fact, uh, the, the, one of the greatest churches in the world is our brothers and sisters who are in China, and they are faithful, and they've been made many sacrifices, but what's interesting is something that did come from China has now got the world locked in its grip so I think that at the very least, our spiritual antenna should be up uh, in these days. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And I think that prior to this, prior to 2020, I think the last thing that any of us could ever even imagine is the whole entire world being affected by one thing. Yeah. But there is a push... In our world, and it's something that we see in Scripture that is really going to be a part of, you know, the last days scenario, especially when the Antichrist comes on the scene. And today they would refer to that as globalism. Mm -hmm. And there's a real push toward globalism, mm -hmm. you know, in our world. And basically everybody getting on the same page, we are the world, and, you know, that type of thing. And what's interesting about, you know, President Trump is he was the opposite of that. He was, you know, <laughs> Uh, uh, into nationalism, not white nationalism, that's, you know, KKK and that whole thing, but, but nationalism in the sense of, you know, make America great again and America first. That was his, you know, mindset, and that was kind of putting a cog in this whole push going on in the world toward globalism. And, but we know scripturally that globalism is going to be what happens when the Antichrist comes on the scene. He yes. brings everybody together under his umbrella, so to speak. And so in some ways, to me, I, I feel like, and I know the Lord has his own timetable in all of this, yeah. but, but if I'm looking at things you know, from a prophetic picture, 
in, in a lot of ways, I, it would seem like, you know, Trump's administration slowed down the coming of the Lord in a sense that that it was kind of like, OK, there's I don't know if, it, if we're as close as maybe we thought we were because of, you know, what was happening um, but that's good because that means more people are going to get saved, right? <laughs> um, but now that the Biden administration is coming in and they very much are of the mindset of globalism, I think it's like ramping things up radically, personally. Well, um, I agree with that to a degree, and I, but I would also add, I think that in one way it doesn't matter because... We're, we're headed, there are forces in place that are forcing the world to have to work together uh, in ways that I think we're just there. We're in that time. We're in, a, we're in a window where we are to be looking up, and at any moment, at any time, we could hear a trumpet blast and be taken to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen. <laughs> and, and just to, to be clear, the whole idea of the world working together in theory isn't a bad thing. But yes. the problem is, is we have a bunch of leaders that are sinners. And you know, <laughs> if, I could, if I could just say, actually, if everybody in the world would just bend their knee and confess Jesus is Lord, that yeah. kind of a Amen. global movement would bring us into the kingdom of heaven and oneness like we've never known. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. So this next um, question is sort of related to that. Um, the political response to COVID in every country has been controlling and evasive. Do you feel that the COVID pandemic has politically weaponized or has been politically weaponized? And do you feel like the church has been directly targeted? Well, that's, that's another great question. Um, I would say that not, so we have to be careful. Not everybody is motivated to try to control people's lives. We have people in your church, no doubt, as well as our church that are in the medical field. And can we just say thank God for the doctors and the nurses and the medical care workers. Um, I mean, our church is full of them. I, I know you have them here. And, you know, it's very, very challenging and stressful. And, and thank God for them. And not all of them, even the, the doctors and so forth, they do have, they have a heart for people and they want to protect people. Um, I think we've learned a lot in this and how to deal with it. Uh, I think that if we look back, we could say, wow, we threw everybody into the same lockdown when maybe if we had started with the people that are the most vulnerable and focused on them and put all of our time and attention toward them, we could have had a little bit more balance uh, with hindsight. Um, but having said that, there are people that do have an agenda. And there, I mean, this is human nature. It's the sin nature is in every generation from Rome, who controlled the world, and Israel. And the Jews suffered under that. So there are people that literally are arrogant enough uh, who want to control our lives. So this is something they can use. So imagine in ancient times, if you wanted to control the world, whether it was Rome or Greece or Babylon or whatever, you had to use armies, you had to use you know, troops, and, you, and it cost pretty much everything you had. How interesting that in modern times, they have found a way that you don't have to spend any money on military or arms or weapons, and they've got the whole world potentially able to be maneuvered around. Uh, who would have known that a virus would be that controlling? Now, ultimately, we also look back, and there is, on the spiritual level, the enemy, the devil, certainly is wanting to use this to control people's lives. And in particular, he is focused on being against God's people, which is the house of the church and the family of God. So, yeah, the, I think we all feel an element of that. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly... Um, the, the question of being weaponized and do you feel like the church has been directly targeted maybe not by every political leader but definitely by the enemy who definitely. might be using yes I, I think that there are political elements in our world and certain type of governments that very much want to control people's lives yeah. 
Marxism, etc., communism. Uh, but there's also the enemy that loves controlling people's lives as well. So yeah, there's there's a double-edged sword in that in that element. All right, staying on this flow, I'm going to jump to question four. Um, how might the actions of current governments in response to COVID and assuming greater degrees of power relate to the political events during? the last days. And we sort of touched on that already, but why don't you go into that a little bit more detail? Well, I think that's, you know, that's what we're going to find out right now. Um, you hear rumors, you hear stories that are saying, okay, we're, you know, there are people that are making decisions, small right now, but maybe they can say a whole community or an airline or a school district, unless you go through this, you can't come back. So that's very powerful. That's very controlling. And I know that there are different people that have various views on vaccines, which on the one hand have been used you know, with measles and historically to protect us a lot for the majority of people. But there's a small percentage that it can have extremely harmful effects on. So I, re- I understand and I'm sympathetic to the people that are wary of that. What I think is doubly uh, you know, worrisome maybe about this one is what normally would take two, three, four years uh, where you get to test things they've crammed into less than a year and a few months. So there's a lot more questions. We don't know how this will affect. So that's also very, it's got to be nervous for for all of us, you know, in that situation. Yeah, I think that in what we're seeing, this more of a governmental control, and that's just not here. I mean, you and I, we both have friends in um, Australia and New Zealand. Yes. And, you know, we had one of our missionaries in New Zealand that the whole country shut down and was locked up where you couldn't come in. In fact, you know that Brian was actually on staff with you, Brian Kelly. Yes, in New uh, Zealand. Yeah, Yeah. he's in Auckland, New Zealand, and and, uh, his his kids couldn't come see him. They couldn't leave to go see their kids because if they left, they couldn't come back, and they they ended up just feeling led of the Lord to to leave, to come back to the States. but. And God was doing a great work there. But, I mean, just crazy, crazy, crazy. The restrictions, the, the um, you know, control. But mm-hmm. that is what we're going to see. It's like a step in the direction mm-hmm. of the type of government, governing that is going to be happening when the Antichrist comes into power. So, so with that... And you touched on this, but, but let's make this very clear, because this is a question that has come up, is could the vaccine be related in any way to the mark of the beast? <laughs> it's another great question. Please answer it for us right here. <laughs> no, uh, you know, yeah, well, um, let me just say that we, uh, here's what I want to encourage you on. I, I think, you know, because I'm a pastor, I've got a lot of people, you have people here I would say that because of everything that's going on and because it has happened and been pushed so hard and so fast, we need to pray. And I think, you know, rather than tell you all, oh, do this uh, or don't do that, uh, you need to pray for you and for your family. I mean, we're living in days where we need to hear the Holy Spirit. And we need to be careful not to judge everybody else if God says something different to them, we're not called to judge them. But, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, your conscience, if you do it and you're violating your conscience, it's sin. Uh, you can do certain things that others maybe can't do, but your conscience doesn't bother you and it's not sin. So uh, I would say this, this is what I'm saying now to, to our uh, church family is that he, listen to the Holy Spirit. And if he tells you personally and gives you permission, okay, I'm not going to override what you've heard. Uh, but at the same time, let's really be careful and let's really be cautious. It's happened so fast and we need to seek the Lord and hear from the Lord. Now, potentially, there are pieces of different things technologically that are out there. And there, you know, there's many people that are putting all these pieces together to say it's right here, right now. But uh, where they can put something in you that never leaves or it changes you or it affects you or, you know, all of those things. And the potential is there. So 
it's very, uh, these are times where we really need to pray, and we really need to be knowledgeable, and we need to be led by the Lord. So, yeah, I would put it this way. I think the vaccine is revealing for us what's possible mm-hmm. in, the, in, in the fact that, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about the potential you won't be able to travel mm-hmm. unless you have it. Mm-hmm. They're talking about they're going to monitor and they will know trace, everybody trace yeah, and who has it. Track. And, Trace and track and all of that. But, but this, to me, is the difference with this and the mark of the beast. And this is why I would say this is not related to the mark of the beast. Is It's very clear in the book of Revelation that those who take the mark of the beast know what they're doing. They know that they're aligning themselves with this leader and his government and his plan. And they, it's, it's clear in that way. In other words, it's not something that you can get tricked into or like oh no i can't believe i did that you know type of a thing and so but i do think it's revealing for us what is possible okay now let me uh, throw in another thought though sure uh so here's what i'm so i'm just being honest can i be honest please no lie to us right i mean (laughs) i'm just saying the, the you know the biblical thought and I appreciate that, and I pray for that. But another thought that is coming to my head is the original, okay, because it's like me and my wife, and I got kids, and I got grandkids, and so um, I'm thinking of the Garden of Eden, and I'm thinking of when the enemy came in, uh, he deceived. Yes. He lied. He said, no, it's going to be... It's, what, what do you mean God said you can't do that? This is food. I mean, you, you, you've got the whole garden, right? What's wrong with this tree? And it look, does it look good? Doesn't it look like the other apples or whatever fruit it was? And I bet it, you, can't you imagine it's going to taste as good as it looks like it will to bite into it? And by the way, what, he, yeah, but God said we'll die. And he goes, no, you're not going to die. It's not that bad. Look, you're going to be as God's kind of open your eyes. You'll be more like me and we can do, do what you want. So... What I realize is, it wasn't like the devil told Adam and Eve the truth. Look, you're going to die. You're going to get old, and you're going to get wrinkled, and you're going to get weak, and then you'll turn into the dust of the earth, and God's not going to be happy with you. It's going to go bad for you. He didn't tell them the truth. He deceived them. Jesus said that the devil is a liar and a thief, and a murderer, and he takes advantage, and he's been that from the beginning. Now, Jesus himself used a word to warn the church and all of the passages about the end times, and he did a lot of teaching, the whole, all of that discourse. He sat down with the disciples, and he spent a lot of time telling them about what it's going to be like. And one of the warnings he gave is, do not be deceived. So, Uh, I definitely, because of so many other things going on, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to lightly take this. And uh, so I want to look at it very carefully, very cautiously, and very biblically, and very... I need to pray about this and know exactly what is going on because I don't want to be deceived. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's wisdom. Okay. For sure. Now, you can clap. You want to clap for that? (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's another question that comes up all the time, and this will be sort of our last question that deals with America directly, and uh, and then we're going to get into a couple things I know that you're really passionate about. But um, will America play any role in the end times? Okay, this is from me and from my knowledge and understanding of the Bible, absolutely. I want to say to you tonight, this is just me. But from my knowledge and understanding of the Bible, God, is, God actually helped bring America into existence. God has used America. God has used the church and the believers in America to be a blessing to believers around the world to this day. And by the way, tonight, let me tell you, our brothers and sisters, whether they're in China suffering persecution for being a believer, whether they're in Iran, one of the fastest growing churches on the planet, Uh, And all around the world, believers are worried 
about you and I and our praying for the church in the United States of America. So God, I believe, is not finished with his plans or with his purpose of the United States of America all the way to the end. That's, my, that's what I believe. Okay. Amen. Okay. I totally agree with that. Um, but let me ask you this, just for clarification. When we're talking about the picture and the things that are happening in the end times, yes. do you see us in that anywhere in Scripture? I do. Um, which kind of will lead into the next thing, which I've got some, uh, uh, some maps to show you of some pretty amazing things that are going on right now. But, um, yeah, in, e- in Ezekiel uh, chapter 38, 37, 38, 39, and um, where it's talking about you know, this war of Gog and Magog. If you guys are you familiar with that, yep. Gog and Magog. And it says that, the, um, that Sheba and Dedan... And Tarshish and the young lions thereof raise a voice like, hey, what are you doing? And I believe that that uh, Sheba and Dedan are actually descendants of Abraham. And Tarshish is an area of Europe that may represent Great Britain. And the young lions out of Great Britain would be the United States of America who say when Israel is attacked, why? Because they're for Israel, and Israel's being attacked by this Gog, Magog invasion. They're going, hey, what are you doing? And these nations, which I believe we're in, are the ones saying, you shouldn't come against Israel and stop. So, Okay. Um, so let me ask you this question. Ezekiel 38, do you think that happens before the rapture hmm. it could or do you think it's after the rapture well okay, well, okay now you're that's higher than sixty four thousand dollars <laughs> i don't know so let me just say this about the rapture the rapture i believe is and it's a mystery and he said i am not going to tell you the day or the hour in fact god has never told the day and the hour he's always you know he'll say 400 years you're going to be in Babylon 70 years. Uh, he gives years, but never the day and the hour. Because God is a dramatic God. He loves drama. <laughs> he actually loves it more than we love it. Uh, but he's very dramatic. And uh, so did you know that when uh, a you know, young Jewish man and a young Jewish girl get married, every young Jewish man gives the same speech. You know, after he does, he makes his vows then they um, exchange wine, a cup of wine, and thirdly, he pays a dowry. He literally has to pay the father uh, a dowry. And did you know, in John 14, Jesus did all three of those things for the church. He made his vows to the church. He, he, had, he drank a cup of wine with the disciples, and then he went out and paid the dowry, which was when he was put on the cross. That's the price he paid for the bride. But then the young man would say, now, I must, every Jewish man says the same thing. I need to leave, I have to leave you now. Uh, You know, and she's like, wait, we just got engaged. And he goes, I know, but I have to go home to my father's house. Why? Because there I'm going to build our bridal chamber. And when it's ready and finished, I will come for you. But here's, and it usually took about a year for him to build the bridal house on the father's property. It would be a new home where his grandchildren and so forth would be. But there was no date set for a Jewish wedding, neither by the bride nor by the bridegroom. Because the tradition was the father would wait till the house is all done and the son's like, dad, dad, come on. He had to get permission from the dad to go get the bride on the other side of the village. The father would wait and always find something a little bit wrong with the house. Uh, You could do this better, you know, zhuzh that a little bit more, make it more... And so finally, the son is doing everything to satisfy his father. And uh, the fathers would wait until midnight or when the son was exhausted asleep from working so hard, polishing that beautiful bridal chamber. And then he would surprise the son and wake him up and say, now you can go get your bride. When the young man was wakened by his father, he went and got the best man and the other young men who would then go running through the fields and farms and the streets, yelling, hooping and hollering and cheering in the middle of the night, 
And the bride, who's been waiting with her friends all through the night, they know with, you know, the house is basically done. It's going to be any night now. They start having slumber parties for about two weeks. And they're waiting <laughs> with lamps in the window. What are the, and the two, two by two, they take turns. What are they waiting for? The sound of the shouts of the young men. Because every bride is going to be raptured in the middle of the night. But the last thing she wants is to not have her wedding dress and makeup. And so you can hear more than a mile away in the nighttime. So when they hear the shouts, then they wake her up and say, he's coming. The people that hear the shouting of the young men get awakened, they go, it's a wedding. Like we do the tin cars honking horns. It goes all the way back to them. So uh, that's what is so exciting is that it could happen at any moment. And that's why Jesus said, I don't even know the day or the hour. I'm the bridegroom. Only my father knows the day that I'm coming. But you can know, I think 2,000 years, uh, I think the house is about done, the roof's on, the windows are set. (laughs) And the bride is supposed to be watching through the night and waiting. Any day now we can go. Amen. It's a good word. Now, a lot of big things happened in 2020. And one of them was this treaty, the Abrahamic Accord. Mm. And a question came in that was, being that the Arab nations that are a part of this accord are Islamic, do you think this accord is just a show? With the Trump administration now out, outgoing, how long do you believe those accords will last, especially with the Arab nations opposing Israel in prophecy? Okay, well, that's, a, that's another great question, and let me answer it this way. Not all of the nations are going to oppose Israel. Right. In fact, the prophet Daniel said that in the last days, there will be a peace deal between Israel and what have formerly been her enemies. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, the Muslim world is divided into two. They are Sunnis. Everybody say Sunni. And then there are Shiites, say Shiites, carefully. So now, uh, 85 to 90% are Sunni. And inside of this, the top of the Sunni world is Saudi Arabia, because they have Mecca and Medina, right? Yes, they've fought with Israel and all of that. But recently, they have changed. And I'm going to say this. These Abraham Accords are not going away. It doesn't matter who is, you know, leading us into the future. It's set, it's started, it's done, and it's not going back. And I'm going to tell you why. Because, um, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia, which is at the top of that whole Muslim world. Ray, is this what your maps are for? It is kind of what the maps are for. They can put them up here. Okay. Okay. Do you guys, can I show you a map that might help? Explain. So, is that the right one? Or the yeah, that, that, is, that is a right one. Okay. So I'm going to try to explain very quickly what's, what's going on right now with these. They're, and they're called, it's not called a normal treaty. It's called the Abraham Accord. Say Abraham. Abraham. When you say the name Abraham, you know how far back you're going? 4,000 years. Listen to this. There has never been a peace treaty between Israel and her Arab neighbors in 4,000 years. Not just 70 or 100 or modern times. In 4,000 years, there's never been a treaty between them. What in the world is going on? What's going on is, uh, so Arabs are in the Sunni side of the world. The other side, which is uh, 10 to 15%, the Shiites. It is that little minority that is about ready to get nuclear weapons. Um, Iran is on its way to getting nuclear weapons. You know that, right? If and when they get nuclearized, um, who is the first nation that they would either by the threat of using it, which is powerful enough, or the use of nuclear weapons, who is their number one target? Israel. Israel. No. Guess again. America, no. Saudi Arabia. And why, why is that? The reason for that is they, they have a totally different theology than Sunni Islam. In 
Shiite Islam, they believe our theology is right and those guys are heretics. We believe that we have been called as Shiites. And Iran, Persia, you know, the ancient world, we ruled the whole world. So we should be ruling again. And, but how can we rule the whole world to make the whole world Muslim if our own religion is divided? So first, did you, do you remember when little drones went in and blew up oil fields in Saudi Arabia? Do you know where those drones came from? Iran. So Iran's first threat is against Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia looks at their chest, and you know that little red laser tag light that gets on your chest when somebody's ready to take a shot? You see that little red light dancing around your heart? You're like, ah, you're freaking out. Saudi Arabia sees that little red laser light of a nuclearized Iran, and they can't you know, catch up to them in time. Now, in the 70s, here's what Saudi Arabia was. They didn't worry about it. They slept really good at night. Why? Because we have our big brother. The United States of America has nuclear weapons. And guess what? America needs our oil to run their economy. But guess what happened from the 70s to today? The United States does not need one drop of oil from Saudi Arabia or any other Gulf nation. Because of shale oil and technology growth and advancement, we are an oil exporting nation for the first time in our history. So all of a sudden, Saudi Arabia goes, uh-oh. And they've got a you know, policy where it's, they don't want to go to war for other people. We feel very vulnerable. What are we going to do? We can't catch up to the Iranians. Where can we go in our neighborhood where there's somebody who has nuclear weapons that also has that same red laser light on them from Iran. <gasps> I know who it is. It's the Jews. And guess what? We're related to them through Abraham. Did you know that the Arabs have genetic blood ties, their cousins, to the Jewish people? Do you know that the Arabs have zero genetic ties to the Iranians? So all of a sudden, Saudi Arabia is going, you know, we're not so angry with the Jews as we used to be. In fact, we'd like to normalize relations with you in order that we might come under the umbrella of your nuclear technology. That's what's driving this right now. Now, can I explain this map? Yes. Can I, take, can I stand up and take a minute? Yep. All right. So there is a... Uh, you see this red line? This is Elot. This is uh, the Red Sea and Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and Israel up there. See the red line that is solid that goes up to here toward the Dead Sea, and then it goes to Ashkelon. You see that? Do you know what that is? That is an old pipeline, an old oil pipeline. It was built by two nations. Guess which two nations built it? Obviously, Israel was one. Guess who the other nation was? Iran. Do you know when it was built? 60 years ago. Before Iran became a radical Islamic nation. But it's been not used. But guess what? Have you heard of the UAE, the United Arab Emirates? Did you know they were one of the first ones to normalize relations with Israel? Why? Because the UAE said, we don't want to go over to the Suez Canal uh, through Egypt we want to go, we'd like to go more direct through here. Could we use that old oil pipeline? Because if they go through the Suez Canal, they have to spend 400000 to $740,000 per tanker to go through the Suez Canal. And they said, so Israel's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we would love to help you be able to do that. So not only do they have come under the nuclear umbrella, now they're going to be able to make even more money. Does that make sense? Now, here's the other thing. Israel is also talking about, you see the, the dotted line that almost follows it and goes a little bit up there to Ashdod? Israel is now talking about building a canal that would be in competition with the Suez Canal and would be even bigger than the Suez Canal because the Suez Canal can't take certain size ships that are too big that are now in modern times. So they're going to do like America did with the Panama Canal that helped bring a shorter path that put a boom of an economic explosion. So Israel 
is going to be using this pipeline that has not been used for the UAE. Then they're going to use this canal. And so guess what? Egypt started complaining, saying, and they complained to Saudi Arabia, hey, UAE, what are you guys doing working this out with Israel? We come to you, our big brother, Saudi Arabia, tell them to stop. And guess what Saudi Arabia said? They said, not so fast. Actually, we've been thinking about normalizing relations with Israel. And in fact, we don't have room on here, but this red line, oops, okay, this red line, yeah, now you can see it. Damam, they're talking about a, uh, putting in a new, another new oil pipeline from Damam off the Persian Gulf of Saudi Arabia going through Jordan and then up through Haifa. And, and Saudi Arabia said, we want to bring our oil through Israel. That would give Israel two oil pipelines. And you see, you can't, it's, it didn't have enough room. But right above Israel, right where those red dots are before they go to Haifa, do you know what that area is called? The Jezreel Valley. Do you know what the Jezreel Valley is? That's where Megiddo is. Do you know what Megiddo is? That's where the Battle of Armageddon is going to come. And so here's the deal. Um, Russia, from what I'm told, 80 to 90% of their economy comes from selling oil and natural gas to Europe. So they're very tied and, and tight with that. Now, all of a sudden, you have all these Arab countries plus Israel going through the Mediterranean to bring oil and gas to Europe, cutting into Russia's market. Remember that whole thing about God put, you know, there's a hook that that Russia doesn't want to come, but God pulls them, even though they don't want to, down into it. And where do they end up in Megiddo to destroy something? Maybe it's not so much Israel. Maybe they're going after that oil that is cutting into their economy. Is that interesting? And that's what they're talking about right now. We are living in very interesting times, biblical times. Wow. Awesome. And uh, that's why I was going to say that that could very, be, very well be the thing that God uses to put that hook. That's exactly and, and right. And when Russia comes, they come with Iran. Yes, they come with, it says Persia, Persia. which is Iran, which is their enemy. So know this about the, uh, the, you know, the world. There's one side. So, so uh, the Arab world is saying, look, because we need Israel's umbrella, because we need economic ties, we could share the land of Israel. Give the Palestinians part of the land and Israel part of the land. We can share Jerusalem. Let the Palestinians have a capital and let the Jews have a capital. And I believe the next phase will be, we could even share the Temple Mount. That one day in the near future, I believe we may see an imam, a rabbi, and some Christian priest or whatever representing the three monotheistic religions shoulder to shoulder saying we can share Temple Mount. The world coming into a whole new love of God the Father. You know, we're all brothers. We can all worship and everything is coming together as a result of this. And of course, it all works perfectly until it all blows up. So, <laughs> All right, I'm going to go off script here for a minute. Okay. Um, do you believe the Antichrist could come on the scene and even come into some power prior to the church being raptured? Well, the, the rapture is, is a mystery. He, let me say this about the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be revealed. So we can guess, and you know it's fun to try to guess, but... Uh, there's certain biblical things that we do not have to guess you can know. And one of them is, let's say that this, and I believe the Abraham Accord is going to continue, and I believe because it's, it's more than politics and it's more than religion, at the bottom line, it's about money. It's always been about the money. And that can change your politics a little bit. It can, t- it can soften the religious edges a little bit. And I think what it's really always been about is the money. And so as that begins to move forward, I think that um, you're going to see other nations lining up to say, yeah, we're ready to normalize. We want peace. We're tired of war. and We want advancement. We need the, you know, ec- the economy. And, of course, they all want that safety and so forth. And, um, 
it is, uh, it's going to build a place where the world thinks that we're coming into an age of prosperity and peace. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes. So I think that if you see the three religions getting along or sharing somehow the Temple Mount, the next thing they'll say is, well, then Israel wants, the Orthodox want to be able to sacrifice on the Temple Mount. They may only say one, you know, one day a year, or Yom Kippur, or I don't know what it will be, but somehow they start doing animal sacrifice on Temple Mount. Can you imagine that there will be a world outcry against that? That there will be people saying, are you out of your minds? We're going back to that? And finally, whoever the Antichrist is among the leaders at that point, he lets the pressure build, build, build. And it may not take long. It's within a couple of years period. And finally, he does what all of the people have been demanding. Stop killing animals in that ancient, horrific way. And he goes, stop the sacrifices. That man who stops the sacrifices is the man in the Bible that says, that's the Antichrist. And in fact, he says something, I'm going to paraphrase, that's not the way, sacrificing animals and blood, that's not what has brought us to these modern times. I'm the one who has brought peace. I am the one who has brought us to where we are. This is a human invention. We don't need the old ways. They're giving into the pressure of the community of the world. We can save ourselves, and I've led the way. He, he, he's an anti, which means instead of Jesus, he's the one that has brought peace. And when that happens, then uh, all hell breaks loose. And there's a prophecy in Zechariah that also says the Antichrist, his eye is out, uh, and, and gone, and his arm is withered. It, it seems like there is some kind of a assassination attempt. Think John Kennedy type of a deal. Um, and the irony is, everybody says he's dead. The leader that brought peace, that pulled this forward and brought the world together, he's dead. And the world begins grieving that. And all of a sudden they say, he's alive again. It's like a miracle. It'd be like what, you know, everybody said, John Kennedy's still alive or whatever. But if the Antichrist, and he, and he survives it. But I believe it's at that moment that he becomes possessed by Satan himself. Judas, then right at the very end, Satan entered his heart to deceive. And I believe that's when, I think before that, the Antichrist is just, he's just a man. He's just a guy. He's a tool. Of, and, but at that moment, he becomes possessed. And now you have the devil, you have the Antichrist, you have the false prophet, a false trinity. And there's 42 months, 1260 days, three and a half years of hell on earth at the very, very end. God, have mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's how we'll know. All right. Um, so cons- here's another question. Considering the contents of the entire Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25, when the disciples asked the Lord in Matthew 24, 3, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Is the word age a reference to the ending of the Jewish, Jewish age, which is still in future, or the end of the world? Well, it's, it's the end of things as we know. Look, when Jesus comes, he is coming with... He, thank God. When Jesus comes, he is bringing his kingdom with him. I mean, I don't know how to tell you this. We, we're all excited. We can't wait to go to heaven. Can I say to you that Jesus in heaven cannot wait to come to earth? And even when we get there, he's bringing us back down here with him. And we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Heaven and earth originally, I believe, in the Garden of Eden were married. Heaven was on earth. It was on a mountain. At the top of that mountain was the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve walked in the visible manifestation of the presence of God. That's what's coming. And here's the good news. When the king comes, when the kingdom of heaven comes, when the earth is healed, it says his feet will touch on the Mount of Olives, which will split in two. It says the deserts will blossom as the rose. The touch of the creator's feet heals every desert on the planet Earth. If you're into the planet and, and into being green, you want to be a Christian and look, loving Jesus because he's going to make the deserts will blossom as a rose. The waters will be healed. Every river and stream will be crystal clear like mountaintop. 
water fresh and pure. The air will be pure. The animal kingdom will be healed. And the lion will lie with the lamb. I mean, we, we cannot wait. And here's the other thing cool thing there's no voting there's no politics there's no parties <laughs> politics is done you wake up every morning jesus is on the throne hallelujah amen no division no parties no politicking no voting it's just peace on earth goodwill toward men come quickly lord jesus amen. maranatha amen. amen amen that's our hope Amen. <laughs> Two more questions. Okay. As Christians facing the possibility of some serious challenges to our religious freedoms, what should be our focus and response right now? Mm. Well, I think that it, you know, being challenged is healthy. Being tested uh, gives you a testimony. Uh, chaos, Christ is in the chaos. What our brothers and sisters would tell us in Iran or in China is your spirituality will never be purer or more on fire. Your prayers will never be as real or as zealous as when you've been tested through the fires. And then you are like lions walking. Daniel said that in the last days, men and women of faith shall do great exploits. God's going to pour out his spirit in a mighty, powerful, and supernatural way. So the, I know the question was about the age. Was that right? Uh, or about Facing possibility of some the, uh, serious challenges yeah. and yeah, persecution. What should be our focus well, Okay, so I, I shared with our congregation this last week. I believe that we're at a moment, we're like the children of Israel, who, you know, God worked on the Pharaoh and through 10 plagues and lessons, he delivered them. And then God led them to the Red Sea where they were trapped. They followed Moses, who was following God, and God led them into a trap. They couldn't turn left because there were mountains to the... There's two and a half million people, babies and elderly people. They're a nation. And, and they've got clothes on their back, and now they can't move. They can't go left because the mountains are there. They can't go right, there's mountains there. They can't look over their shoulder because Pharaoh changed his mind and sent the army after to kill him. And they can't go forward because there's a Red Sea. They're trapped. What did the Lord have Moses say? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Exodus fourteen thirteen. Stand still. When you can't move, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. You know what the Hebrew word for salvation is? Yeshua. 3,000 years ago, Moses said, stand still and see Yeshua the Lord. We're going to see, because we're trapped. So the church is in a place where we've been trapped. We can't turn left, if you know what I mean. (laughs) But on the other hand, we can't go right. They haven't fixed anything. We can't go backwards, don't want to, into 2020. The enemy's pursuing us. But if we will look at Jesus like we've never looked before, I believe these are the days of visitation when God says, when you're trapped, that's when I get to be God. I get to do stuff you've never seen before. I'm going to show you my power and my faithfulness. You see that sea? I'm going to part it, and you're going to walk on dry ground, and you're going to get to the other side. Then I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey and a land I've prepared for you. And if the enemy pursues you, I'm going to trap him and drown him in the sea right in front of your eyes. Woo! Hallelujah. (laughs) That's awesome. I think we've talked about this before, you and I. Um, you believe, I know pretty strongly, that we're going to see one more awakening before the Lord comes back. You think we're on the cusp? Yes. I, I believe that, uh, yes. Because I know my dad in heaven. He saves the best for last. Jesus' very first miracle was turning water into wine. But he did it at the end when it all run out and run dry. The prophet Joel in chapter 2 said, In the last days, God said, I believe that what he did at Pentecost was the beginning, the opening, 
But I believe that what he has reserved for the end is the biggest, most radical, supernatural outpouring of the Spirit that will bypass every move of God we've ever seen or known before, including the Jesus people revival. Because now the church, we're in it all around the world together. We're all in the same boat. And I believe that there is going to come a roar of worship and prayer. I mean, coming together for fellowship, you're, you're going to be like, you're going to feel the mighty presence of God and his holy angels and the glory of God descending. And a boldness is going to come upon us to share our faith with all our family and friends. Because the honest you know, answer, why hasn't he come yet? We know the answer. He told us. Because God is not willing that any should perish. So that's our family and our friends and our kids and our neighbors and co-workers. We, we, only, we only have a little window, so let's share our hearts out. And having done all, then we hear the trumpet. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the sound of the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall be caught up together. Once that happens, you know, you blow the trumpet when the harvest is done at the end of summer. So it's harvest time right now. The focus You know, when you're in a family business, a farm, all hands on deck. Even the little kids, everybody pitches in. Grandpa and grandma, everybody's got a role to play because harvest is fast and it's short and you got to get it all. But when it's over, it's over. And we're right at the very, very end. And we can't stop till we hear the trumpet. In the meantime, we're going to have the most fun we've ever had in our lives. (laughs) So how should we best, as, as the church, as followers of Christ, how should we best be preparing right now for the times that we're living in and for what's coming mm. and for what God's going to do. The best thing that you can do is your day, you need to have a daily devotion with God. You need to have a time where you read the Bible and God's going to speak to you every day, no matter where you are. You should have a reading plan to read through the whole Bible and God will speak to you every day and hear his voice and obey him and follow his leading and his guiding. Um, and don't be afraid. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall guide and direct your paths. Uh, you know, be, don't mess around. This is not a time to be haphazard, halfway, frustrated, angry. Well, I wanted it to be this way or that way. No, look, trust dad and follow him and dive in all the way. You will not regret it that you totally surrendered your life unto the Lord and to serve him because that's going to be over like that. Amen. Amen. <laughs> awesome. Can I take one minute and show him the book and tell him about yeah, it? Yeah, I was going to mention that. Okay. Um, so you have a new book I do. Come, that's just come out that's all about today and what's happening. So tell us about it. Okay, so I wrote a, it's the third one in a series. The first one is called On the Mountain of the Lord, and the second one is On the Threshing Floor, and this third one is called The Cyrus Mandate. Uh, And it's not a, you know, political about everything that's going on right this second. I wrote it, you know, a year ago, and it was about, in in Israel, uh, they, they, the Jews called Trump a Cyrus because he moved the embassy and because uh, he, you know, did this Abraham Accord. So I'm not saying it. The, the religious Jews are saying it. So I believe that God, you know, let's just look past right now. God used him to bring that about. So this is written with uh, Bodhi Taney and her husband Brock Taney. Uh, it's kind of a left behind series current of what's happening now. And uh, it's a story, but it's full of real things that are going on. And it's a great story. And, um, yeah, so this one's called the Cyrus Mandate. And I believe we're going to be living in the aftermath of this Cyrus Mandate that he started over the next few years. And I believe it's all setting the stage for the book of Revelation. And this whole series is epic. If you, uh, I really encourage you to stop by Ray's table because um, these books are are awesome. And 
Bodie Taney, is that Bodie Taney, yeah. Taney, um, she wrote a, a series before, the Zion Chronicles. Many, yeah, the Zion Chronicles. That some of you may, may have read. I mean, those were epic, epic books. She's and a so, brilliant writer. I, yeah. I provided the prophecy. She's the storyteller. It's available on Amazon. If you want the e-book, you can go get it on Amazon. If you want the book, I have the book here. Uh, but anyway. And the audio book is coming. It's coming out soon. The, the, <laughs> I keep the guy, him about The guy this. that has a much better voice than me is reading it right now. In a few <laughs> weeks, it'll be out on auto. Because I, I know some of you like to listen, so it's coming. All right. Well, hey, let's thank Pastor Ray for being here tonight. And Ray, would you, um, would you just pray for us and pray yes. for our, our church? Amen. Let's stand. And if you don't mind, uh, you know, laying hands on one another, it's in the Bible. <laughs> And you know why the Bible says to lay hands on one another? Because every single believer here tonight, I'm telling you on the authority of God's word, you are a mobile carrier of the Holy Spirit of God. And by that, what I mean is the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. And the Holy Spirit can be released through us by love and by prayer and by laying hands on one another and praying. So let's just agree together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and I thank you for my family, my brothers and sisters. Um, and Lord, as we talk about these things, it, I mean, Rob and I, we, we never in our lives could have had a discussion like we're having tonight. Back in the 70s, we we're always, well, someday, and maybe it'll be this way, and we're guessing. And now it feels like it's happening. We're connecting the dots. The pieces to the puzzle are coming together so fast. And the big picture is literally beginning to emerge with only a few key pieces left. So, Father, may the joy of the Lord be our strength. May your hand be mighty upon every one of them. Give them the boldness of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Fill them to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Give them confidence, the peace of God that passes all understanding and More than anything, may love flow through them. For this is how they will know you are my disciples, by the love that you show and demonstrate to one another. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Pastor Ray. Thanks, Rob.